0: And we're Haaretz Election Overdose, episode 9, recorded on September 8th. That means the summer is finally over. The election campaign is still here. And we're into the crucial last week of flirting, splitting and merging, as the parties have won last week to get their candidate list together. I'm Anshul Pfeffer, and with me is Dr. Dalia Schoenling. Hi, Doc. Hi, Anshul. You're smiling as if you don't mind the summer is over.
1: I'm thrilled the summer is over and I'm hoping that the electorate is going to have the batteries recharged and ready to be thrilled and excited about all of the lists that are going to be presented on September 15th and maybe start showing signs of life.
0: Well, speak for yourself. I could do it another week of summer. But as it is, we're here and we'll talk about what's in store for us in the coming week and how these last minute developments will impact on the election itself in a few moments. But looking back... What was the political event that made your summer, Daria?
1: I'm not sure if this is considered a political event, and I'm not sure if it's going to be considered something that made my summer. But what I'm keeping an eye on is what I might nickname the Mabam, which is the abbreviation that we use for the Mar ben Milchamot. Usually we use this term to refer to the battle in between wars, such as it is between Israel and Iran, the proxy strikes in Syria. But what I'm looking at is the fact that there has been ongoing escalation between... Israeli forces entering the West Bank constantly to do raids and uptick, a definite uptick in attacks. And I think that this escalation is the kind of thing that if there are very few issues that affect political dynamics right now, every time we see new issues, they don't really seem to make a change. But if there's one thing that has changed Israeli electorate choice in the past, it's escalation on the Palestinian front. And so, so far, it has not. But the more we see these kinds of escalations, one more attack, one more raid, one more attack— this is the kind of ongoing tension that led to the killing of Shirin Abu Akleh. That's the kind of thing that I wonder if it will push Israelis to the right or the left. And I'm just keeping an eye on it. It's not exactly an event that made my summer. In fact, I wish it wasn't happening at all.
0: Well, it's interesting that you mentioned the Mabam, the campaign between the wars, because my event of the summer was more of a non-event. And it was the disappointing, rather belated entry of Guy D. Eisenkot, the former chief of staff who was... One of the people who came up with the concept of the campaign between the Wars, the Mabam. And Gary is, like other generals before him, his entrance into politics was much awaited. And then when it happened, it sort of kind of fizzled out. It- yeah, we've barely heard, I mean, there's been here and there some quotes att- attributed to him, but no big bang.
1: It's been a bit of a whimper instead of a bang. And the polls have been whimpering as well on that front. Remind me of their current English name National for the National
0: Party is what they asked to be called. And since we don't really know how to translate the word Mamlahti, and many pieces have been written over the years in Arabs about how to translate Mamlahti, we're going along with their... Rather boring name.
1: The point is that the surveys have not been terribly generous to them. They are barely getting 12, 13 seats in the surveys and it seems pretty stuck even with him joining. It just hasn't done very much.
0: Interesting. When do you use the word survey and when do you use the word poll? Sorry about the linguistics. No worries.
1: I use the word survey when I'm trying to sound like a doctor of political science. Which is what you are. But I use the word poll when I'm trying to sound like a serious political strategist. So when
0: don't you want to be to sound like a doctor? I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. What?
1: The Is it? truth. You really want to know the truth? In what the world of for? political consulting, in the world of political strategy, if you're working on political campaigns, nobody wants to hear about your academic credentials. It's even considered a demerit. It's like you live in la la land and you think theoretically and it can actually be counted against you.
0: Interesting. Interesting. So the rebranding of Benny Gantz's party, his merger with Gidon Sauer's party, and then the arrival of Eisencott as the number three in that party, it's all been a bit botched and kind of mismanaged. They need some a doctor for political science probably to help. I'm
1: them. not sure if I could save them, but I'm not sure if it's been botched. I mean, they had this nice campaign coming out. They just announced their list and they had these huge posters all around with the face of Benny Gantz saying, Aharav, which means after him, follow him. What do you make of that?
0: Well, Aharav is not just follow him. It's kind of for all. Israelis have served in the army. It's got this whole resonance of the the brave commander who is always at the front line leading his troops, and that's what Benny Gantz has got to sell. And to be fair, it did quite well for him in the last election when we thought that blue and white Kholavan was going to perhaps go beneath the threshold he got eight at seat's not great
1: not great compared to 35 he got in the previous cycles but
0: much better than previous cycles not much better cycle. than than was expected and people many people including his own former soldiers and commanders from the IDF in, a bit more than a year ago were urging him just to drop out of the race and not uh, risk votes. so yes on the one hand generals perhaps are not as hot political property as we think they are on the other hand, there is a certain chunk of the Israeli electorate, someone kind of the center, I, th- I think we could call them the Rabin voters, because they always liked a general, who Benny Gantz's stern look and blue eyes and the steely look does it for them.
1: I guess. Although I really have a hard time every time I'm analyzing this election, trying to describe them. Are they right? Are they center? What are they? I can't. I mean, they're certainly not in the BB block, but does that make them? somehow less right-wing. I can't tell because Guidon Sauer, of course, hails from a very right-wing background.
0: But Eisenkot is uh, known as someone who thinks that uh, two-state solution has to be done immediately, which puts him on the left. So. And
1: on the other hand, Benny Gantz refuses to really take a position on this. Yeah. What about the people we've, on his list? I, I think
0: we've talked too much about this very boring list because the list...
1: <laughs> we haven't talked about the list at all, the rest of it. <laughs>
0: it's just so, you know, the, the MKs are already there. Well,
1: some of them were ministers in the previous government.
0: And we barely noticed them over the last year. I think we've spent enough time talking about... that party. What else happened this week? It was sort of a week of the campaign kind of having trouble shaking off the summer stupor and taking itself seriously. It was kind of a week of non-events. We had Ben visit to uh, Blich High School in Ramagan. Why is Blich important, or is it important?
1: Well, this is a question of whether Blich is still important. Blich was the high school that was considered the great barometer for Israeli elections for a long time, and they would run mock elections in previous years that were considered to be the great bellwether of where these well, Israeli Blich famously in
0: 1977, the big year of the turnaround.
1: That nobody predicted except Mina Tzemach.
0: And the students at Blich High School, where Likud broke through... And finally, won an election. And ever since Blich has been treated as some kind of hallowed electoral ground. But I
1: think it really hasn't been in quite a long time. I mean, we don't hear as much about it as we did in previous years. I'm not even sure if they're really doing systematic. Well, we heard about it
0: this year because Itamar Bengvir, far, far, far right, and religious right as well. This is a typical middle class secular high school. The very fact that Itamar Bengvir was being invited to talk and all the party leaders apparently are being invited to talk there, was seen by many as almost an act of of heresy, something
1: sacrilegious. What do you think? Well, I have to say that I think I cannot shake the echoes of 1985. And that's because, like any normal person, I've been reading the Knesset Protocols of 1985, which was after Meir Kahana first entered the Israeli Knesset. And there was a great... Panic that young people were flocking to Kahanism. And there were great discussions about this in the Knesset, of course, while they were trying to think about how to pass a law that they eventually would pass later that year about banning Kahana. Of course, they couldn't write the law that way. They had to pass a law or amendment to the Israeli Basic Law of the Knesset, outlawing, prohibiting parties from running if they support racism. And the debates around it were all about the young people and how there had been surveys in high schools and how there had been, there was a, a general spirit coming out of. Uh, High schools, regular high schools, religious high schools of support for Kahanism. And it sounds very much the same. So I can't tell whether I should be not that worried because this is something we see cyclically or more worried because nowadays there's no Bittemar ben anymore because he's been allowed to run up until this point.
0: I think we should always be worried when fascism rises.
1: You Uh, use the F word?
0: uh, Yeah, totally. It's ugly head, but it is cyclical at the same time. And and we 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 see these bumps in the polls and not just in Israel. We're seeing in many countries parties and political persuasions that we wouldn't normally think of as becoming mainstream becoming mainstream
1: so it's but not always supported by young people
0: i think here there's also some of the shock value and a lot of young people i've spoken to in recent months and also in the previous election we're talking about bank as not even in an ideological way but i'm voting is like
1: Is it an anti-establishment thing? Uh, Anti-establishment, but also like kind of
0: shocking your elders. And uh, Since I have kids at that age, and some of their friends sadly have also been voting or saying they're voting for Benkvist, I'm not even sure if they're actually going to be voting for Benkvist, but it's something that you like to say in the same vein that you say things to... When they're thinking
1: about the other F-word.
0: For example. It's enough about Benkvist, because blich is, as you said, probably not that important, really, even though it's got some kind of historical meaning. But I do have a
1: question about Ben-Gvir, which I think only you can answer. Only me? Yeah, only you. He has been trying to portray, as has Bezalus Motrich, his little buddy in the party, that they are somewhat more moderate than their previous very extremist image. Ben-Gvir even said he took the picture of Baruch Goldstein off the wall. And do you think this is real? Are they genuinely becoming more moderate? Or are they using this as a political ploy to get elected, get lots of votes, and then become... Just as extreme as they have been in the past.
0: Well, Harris did a very, very good piece a few days ago by Doctor Tomer Pelsiko analyzing things that Bengvir has been saying over the years, over recent years, not just back in the day when he was a when he was a bonafide kahanist and so on, which kind of proves that he's still very much in that vein. And at the same time, Bengvir, as we've, I think we've said here before made a very, very conscious, very well-planned effort over the last 15 years or so to mainstream himself. He insisted on being allowed to take the bar exam, even though the, the Israeli Bar Association tried to stop him. You know, ben gvir 20-odd years ago, was one of the most ostracized men in the country. He was, already from the age of 17, he was singled out by Shin Bet as someone who wouldn't even be allowed to enlist in the IDF. And he understood that where his his spiritual leader, though actually he never met Kahana. they didn't overlap. He's sort of the third generation of Kahanists that he would succeed in legitimizing the movement in ways that his rabbi and his rabbis earlier followers failed to do, and he succeeded to a large degree. And I think the question of whether he is authentic Kahanism or something slightly more moderate or sanitized that's the wrong question to ask question is, is what does bengaville stand for what are the views and the the ideas that he's popularizing now and perhaps not even popularizing this in the sense that he's not convincing people to be kahanis because we spoke a moment ago about how back in 1985 there was this surge in polls for a short, I mean, kind of only came in once, the Knesset, previous but elections. But polls at
1: that time showed him doubling his strength. I
0: remember at the time. Well more than doubling, strength. I'm old enough to remember polls giving him seven yes. or eight seats in the That in was the around vote. then. But the truth is, is that he only got one seat. He got one point something percent of the vote. Benguer himself and Jewish power have never crossed the threshold when running on their own. Now, we do have polls in the last few weeks, especially when Benguer said he was going to run on his own for a couple of weeks. Showing we him, him doing better than Smolter. Eight, nine, 10, 11 seats. But we had a similar thing a couple of years ago with the Moshe, with Moshe Feiglin, Zehut, Identity Party, also getting seven or eight seats. And then in the actual election, they didn't cross the threshold. You know, this is your business. I think people do sometimes enjoy saying things over the phone to polling companies, which they may not follow up on.
1: I don't think I would flatter the pollsters that people have much of an interest in telling us one thing or the other. But I do think people toy with the idea of voting for the parties that seem very defiant and maybe different and radically kind of anti-establishment, as I said before. But in the end they often come back to the political groundwork and they say, well, we have to really vote for a party that's serious, that's going to cross the threshold, that might be part of the system. And so I think that the voters themselves are playing with the ideas, not in order to trick pollsters. It's
0: a bit like me playing with the idea maybe I'll vote for Yeshatid.
1: <laughs> I didn't ask and you shouldn't say.
0: What else did we have this week? This week we had a very short... Episode of is Naftali Bennett after he announced that he's taking a time off from, from politics. Is he actually going to run in this in this election? And there was who some, started this rumor? Well, there was someone polling. If you can't see
1: the poll. You can't believe it. Someone I will say that again and again and again. But, but and again. there were,
0: no, there was, the, but there were people were getting were getting text messages saying, "Would you vote for a party led by Naftali Bennett?" That's not a poll. There was like a handful of people outside his house in Ryanana with signs saying, "Naftali run." So I think, no, no,
1: they were saying, "You're the only one." You're right? the only
0: one. Yes, Naftali You're Bennett. The only one. The only one, only one. He's the only one left. And then 24 hours later, statements saying he's still not running. Who would have an interest in
1: news media? Who needs who need people to tune in?
0: And perhaps someone wants not to totally fade away.
1: You're somebody who totally doesn't want to fade away, and that would be your friend and mine, Bibi Netanyahu. He wants everybody to see him. So in, y- in Yadliam
0: in South Tel Aviv yesterday, Wednesday evening, there was a incredible show. Do you want to try and describe it in words? There, Dali? I, I, okay. I think I think you have the words for well, it. Well, no, I mean, the the first thing I thought when I saw. The contraption that he was traveling in was uh, His Holiness uh, the Pope. Actually, not the current Pope. The current Pope actually doesn't do that. But the
1: two previous Popes. The current Pope is very modest.
0: He makes it. He's very modest about me being modest as well. But the two previous Popes, Ratzinger and John Paul, they had this glass. Didn't uh, they call
1: it the Pope Mobile?
0: It was called, but indeed, it still, is, it still is called the Pope Mobile. And it was this kind of special contraption with the kind of, I think it was after he was shot uh, and almost killed, John Paul II. He still has to show himself, the Pope so has to show himself to all these believers. And they constructed a sort of glass capsule on some kind of vehicle. And Likud spent 700,000 shekel on a truck with a massive sheet of uh, bulletproof glass. 700,000 shekel, not, but they're not even buying it. For just two months of renting it, a lot of anger within the party on the waste of that, mu- what is perceived as being a waste. And already rumors today that we may not see that again because it looks so ridiculous, even to Likudniks who worship Netanyahu, even they felt that that was taking a bit too far. And the best thing about it is the name it's called Bibi Bach.
1: Bibi ba, which, by the way, when you write it in English, it looks even stranger than it does in Hebrew. Because in Hebrew, it says Bibi's coming, right? Bibi's like coming to your neighborhood, coming soon to your theater near you. But when you say Bibi Ba in English, or when you read it, it looks like Ba Ba. For one thing, let me venture to say not a single Likud supporter who is still supporting Bibi. And that is between 25 to 29 percent of the voters, a lot of people, not a single one is going to defect from Likud because of this. We may think it's strange. It keeps him in the headlines. That's what he likes. But the other thing that I think is very clever on Netanyahu's part is that he's been doing a lot of field campaigning. He's been going out jogging, pressing the flesh. And I think that Netanyahu, really, you cannot fault his political instincts. He knows that people want him to feel close to the people. He feels good when he's close to the people. And that's why he's doing it.
0: Yes, but this glass screen actually makes him seem not so close. And I think that it makes him seem also a bit ridiculous, which is not a position any politician wants to be in.
1: You think he's going to lose votes for it? I think the real
0: question is whether this will do what Netanyahu needs, and that's bring out reluctantly could vote. And I'm not sure this is how to... to... It
1: may not be the winning thing, but people will see him and they'll remember that Raq Bibi. That's what I think his supporters think.
0: Well, we shall see if he continues using that contraption. We'll be much cleverer next week. But the real stories of this week are the cliffhangers, the ongoing sagas of parties which in the past elections ran together and now may be on the brink of divorce, and those which usually run separately that may be facing a shotgun marriage, all to be resolved by next Thursday at midnight. So which of these thrillers has you at the edge of your seat, Dahlia?
1: Edge of my seat, I don't know. But I do think it would be interesting if the uh, United Torah Judaism breaks up because that would be quite unprecedented. That would be, I mean, not unprecedented, but we're talking, what, 30 years that they've been running together? That's a long time. People have gotten very used to them running together. And I think the question I have about that, first of all, is, of course, what impact would it have? There is a fear, we talked about it last time, that one of them might not cross the threshold, the block loses four seats. But what I really want to know is what is the real reason? And again, I think you are well-placed to answer this question. We're seeing that it looks like a dispute over the Belz Hasidim who might accept a core curriculum in their education system, but the others who might not. And I would like your opinion. Is it really about that or is it about something else?
0: No, it is about that. And it's a piece I wrote earlier this week, which is still on Haritzcom website, that this is not about the elections. This is not about whether Netanyahu will or won't have his majority and will these seats uh, perhaps be lost to the Bibi block. This is about much more deep uh, trends and process happening within the Haredi community, arguments over how the education system should be funded, what the curriculum should be, can the government's uh, education ministry have any say in what what will be taught in Haredi schools, and also about whether young Haredi men or boys should have a certain portion of their day studying also general studies which will perhaps also prepare them for...
1: Entering the workforce.
0: And there is a critical difference here between Hasidim and uh, Litaim, the two wings, which are also the two wings of, of UTJ, Agudat Israel and Daglat in that Daglat uh, the Lithuanian wing, has always has been m- much more into sanctifying a life of Torah that all you need to do is study all day and Somehow or other there will be Your family will be kept alive somehow Whereas the Hasidim were never into that in the same way. Yes for them studying Torah is very important But it wasn't necessarily something that you had to do your entire life every day and all day
1: and there seems to be less opposition to the core curriculum. And I saw people, you know, from that community have been saying, "So we'll learn a little English, you know? What's so bad about that?"
0: All in all, the Hasidim are much more pragmatic when it comes to actually making sure their communities can sustain themselves financially. Whereas the, the Lithuanians, and this is pr- probably not the right podcast to have a whole conversation about the differences within the ultra Orthodox ideology, the Lithuanians are less focused on how they're going to sustain entire communities and families and make sure everyone's got housing and can marry off their kids, etc. A Hasidic Rebbe needs to sort of be responsible also for his followers' livelihoods, and which is why we're talking about the second largest uh, Hasidic uh, court in Israel, Belz. Their Rebbe their Belzerov, as he's called, Ravrokach, is very much focused on these matters. And will this result in a split in the list? Perhaps not this time. Probably they'll find a way to st- to keep UTJ together for this election. But this is about something much deeper than just will or won't UTJ run together. Okay. What other cliffhangers do we have? I think
1: this begs the next question, which is, there, is there a really deep ideological split within the joint list that might cause, you know, Ballad and khadash to run together, and Ta'al, of course, to run together or apart? Is, do you think this is an ideological question, or is it something to do with the politics of politics? Well, these
0: there was always massive ideological splits. You know, khadash is the communist party it's not even officially an arab party even though 90% of voters members etc it has no, it
1: has jews on its list and some jews vote for it
0: so few yes Balad is an arab nationalist party does that put it on the left or right who knows Tibi is basically the, the family party him and his A
1: pragmatist i'm not sure how you would what you would call well, it. i always
0: call him an arab bourgeoisie i don't mean that in any deprecating way I, I just don't think he's very ideological and obviously it used to be also ram used to be there so we had Haredi, an Arab Haredi party as well,
1: although certainly not as devoted to strict theological practice in the in the ideology of the Islamic movement in Israel, especially in politics, they're not advocating for you know a theocratic society. No, they
0: they're a nice Haredi party. They don't want to overturn the country, but the idea that Joint List was ever an ideological cohesive group was always wrong. But what
1: about the possible breakup? Is that an ideological breakup or is it a political breakup?
0: These are tactical things. Mansour Abbas broke away because he decided that he wants to pursue political strategy of joining a government.
1: And putting the Israeli-Palestinian conflict to the side for now while focusing on issues of Arab-Palestinian citizens of Israel in Israel.
0: We remember the speech he gave after the last election when Ram on its own past the threshold, which wasn't at all clear, would happen. He gave a speech in Hebrew. The first time I think that any Arab Israeli political leader had a speech on prime time, which all the all the channels were were broadcasting live. He didn't mention the word Palestinian even once. It was all about we partnership, we Israelis, we Israeli citizens, and that was a very clear strategy and and he followed through.
1: And it didn't help him in the eyes of Likud and the opposition, who insist on calling him a terrorist supporter throughout the entire year.
0: And the question is will it help him in the eyes of his own voters? Will Ram cross the threshold this time? Will they do a perhaps even better than, than the previous election?
1: Doesn't look like it,
0: but I don't want to
1: predict. But, uh, but I think there's also, a lot of controversy. Also, we also know it's very it
0: difficult, difficult to pull. It's much It's much more difficult to poll the Arab sector than it is to poll Israelis in general, which isn't easy either.
1: I'm not sure if I would agree with that. It's not so difficult to pull them. There's a lot of suspicion on some level to be very open about your political attitudes. But on the other hand, when you do invest in a good sample and good methodology, you get good results. And so the results can be fairly predictive. I think there are differences in how society breaks down. To some extent, there are not quite as deep divisions between different identity and demographic groups in Arab society. As far as I read the surveys, I don't think it's more difficult to pull them. You just have to do it well. There's been less investment in polling. That's a problem over with the, the years,
0: and therefore it's that's a problem of the party diffi- and the pollsters. I agree, but it's it means that it's more difficult to poll them now. What's really fascinating to me about what's happening with the Arab parties and how, let's it looks like the three remaining parties of Jordanis are going to run together, though it's not sealed yet. And as these things are usually happen, it'll be finished on the very uh, last minute. Yes, just before the deadline. But even assuming that we're going to see the three parties of the Joint List staying together and RAM once again on its own, does it look like in the long term the split will no longer be by these different ideologies that we just mentioned before, which are within the Arab community, but that the split will be between parties which are like RAM, really want to be part of a coalition, parties like Ballad, which will never, ever be part of any coalition, and perhaps parties like khadash and Tibi's Ta'al, which, more ambivalent, what do you think? I
1: think it's a very good point. I think that what we're seeing as the dividing line between opinions on these issues in the Arab-Palestinian citizens of Israel is whether there should be this pragmatist approach of joining the government or not. That seems to be a real wedge issue right now. What I think is that it's less about grand ideologies. It's not really whether you support the communist, you know, v- vision of a worker struggle or secular state. Marxism, or... Leninism versus No, I, I just don't see that. I just don't see that. And, or even Balad and what they stand for at Palestine. Palestinian national, Arab national... St- well, actually, what Ballad really also stands for is a democratic society, is what they're saying. And I don't think any of well, those Well, yeah, but they're, but they're also
0: pro-Assad, which is not exactly The question is whether that's across the board, the, but never mind. Society.
1: The point is, I don't see any of those, at least not as far as I read surveys, or listen to focus groups, or talk to colleagues, that those are the defining big ideologies of the Arab c- citizens of Israel right now. And in fact, I'm not sure I see big defining ideologies among the Jewish voters of Israel either, other than the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and Jewish-Arab issues, which defines so much of the right center and left-wing camps. But other than that, I don't think we're in an era of big, grand political social vision that defines which parties people vote for. No,
0: we're not, sadly, uh, because we could talk about ideology and issues and policy, but not on this podcast. What's
1: the last big dilemma that's left for the closing of the list on September 15th? Angel? I know you know what it is. Um... I got a hint for you. It's on the left.
0: It's on the left. It's the only two parties led by ladies.
1: That's women with a Y. Angel is smiling, guys. I got him to smile.
0: Yes. Uh, and I um, guess the big question, will they, won't they? Will Merav Michaeli's labor and Zavagalon's merits run together? Right now it looks as if not because Merav Michaeli is dead against it. What do you think, uh, Dalia? Do you think they should shouldn't they? Hmm.
1: Take a position on it. I don't really have much to add about whether it will or won't happen, but I do think it is another symptom or indication of what we have just been talking about, which is I think the big question in the air is do they really reflect or represent any grand different ideological, you know, positions in the Israeli left? And I think the general answer is not really. Even party members will say that. And I think you can probably define certain priorities or positions that are a little different, but I do think it reflects the fact that over the course of the last decade or two. What the Israeli left stands for has largely been prioritizing Israeli-Palestinian peace without really having a good vision for how to make it happen, other than being stuck to the two-state solution, some sort of progressive social justice-related stuff. And it's hard to characterize what are the big things that might actually determine ideologically whether you vote for this party or that party within the Israeli left. And Antoine, I know you don't believe ideology matters at all within the camps. What do you think? Is there well, any I think real for difference for these
0: between these two them? parties, ideology does matter. They do have ideologies, even though they haven't done a very good job of articulating and kind of making a narrative out of these ideologies which can grip the, the Israeli voter. But the question is, what defines a party in Israel? Is it—
1: A hundred I, people. Is it— all you need to register that's
0: all you need yes but the question is what defines a party in the mind of the israeli public and i think there are four possible factors one is the ideology and i think in the case of merits and labor they're like you said different priorities and there are differences there are even more than nuances between them they haven't really made a very good job of explaining what those differences are but there's that they're the personalities of the party who is the leader what they stand for
1: Do they seem credible? Do you think they have leadership qualities?
0: The the images they form, there's the history. And this is very important because people tend to vote according to a pattern. Some people vote what their parents voted. there's There's like a historical voting pattern. It's especially important for labor, which is... A party which goes back almost 100 years, and for merits by now 30 years as well, so history is important here. But perhaps the most important thing in Israel, because we are a multi-party system strung across a wide uh, political spectrum, is the place that they occupy on that spectrum. Where are they on the political landscape? And I think this is where Labour especially has a problem here, because the... Area that Labour traditionally occupied, the middle ground, has been almost totally occupied. The other occupation that we don't talk enough about by Lapidzi Eshatir, Benny Gantz's party, which we, we can't remember the name, even to a certain, certain degree, even Israel Beiteno, that you wouldn't call that a left wing party. Khalila, it's a right-wing party. 30 years ago, the Russian voters who had just arrived in the the end of the 80s, early 90s, voted for like Rabin's Labour Party, mainly.
1: And then they voted for Netanyahu, majorities. And then they and, voted and for and now they're voting for Lieberman. Well, I would say about 40, 45% of them are voting for Lieberman, because those are the people who really are still in more insular Russian-speaking communities.
0: But all this group who are in kind of an ill-defined center ground of Israel, of Israel, but used to vote at some point in the past... For Labour, that has all been taken away from Labour. And the area to the left of Labour, which was Meretz's territory, is now being split between Labour and Merits. Now, Mira Michaeli, who, like every other Labour leader, has to try and convince the party members that she can restore Labour to its former glory and make it once again a contender, make it once again a potential party of power. Can't come to terms, certainly not in public, with the fact that she is now basically a twin of merits on this much more cramped territory to the left of what was once Labour's home turf.
1: I think we have to remember that in in terms of where we are now, the fifth cycle out of, you know, after four sort of hung election campaigns, many Israelis on the left in particular, are going to be deciding their vote based on some sort of strategy for block building. And they're going to be looking at the polls at the end, and they're going to be deciding on the way to the ballot box, whether one party is in danger of falling below the threshold, in which case they might want to strengthen it, or whether maybe they don't want to waste their vote if there's a danger of falling between the threshold. And I think these strategic considerations are in addition to everything else you said, which is correct. But we have to take into account that many are going to make their final decisions very late in the game based on strategic considerations.
0: So. Not that we're expecting any other major surprises from the other parties, but next week we'll also see what new and exciting list Sierra yeah, Lepid and Avito Lieberman, who have complete control over their candidate selection, have come up with...
1: With a committee in the case K- initiative
0: K- Committee, yes.
1: Committee, end yeah. <laughs> quote.
0: The great thing about Lepid's team is that he, he's got the same team already from the days that he was producing a, a talk show. He's the same people that's are still working with him now, now. Then they were choosing who's going to be the guests... On the show's lineup, now they're choosing who the candidates on the edited list. Also, we'll find out next week who are the lucky guys, perhaps gals. Netanyahu chooses to add to the list, very masculine list, uh, already elected by Liquid Party members. Perhaps he'll add a few women there just to kind of slightly just to deflect the criticism. Yep. And also, what you're looking forward to, I know, is finally the polls talking about actual parties and not conjectures of what the parties may look like.
1: Yeah, but I'm going to make this really quick. I do not know if the polls are going to change. At least they will be reflective of the stable political environment that is going to be with us until the election day. They may change. There may be a little bump if there are any surprises among parties, oftentimes a surprise announcement of a merger or breakup or a final something or other Ahead of declaring the list, will lead to a small bump in the polls. It will probably go away after a couple of weeks, and the blocks have been just shockingly stable. I I don't know if they're going to change at all.
0: I thought stability is a good thing.
1: Well, the voters want stability, so maybe they're just polling the way they, according to their yearnings for the Israeli political system.
0: And talking about yearnings, I know you've been yearning for this. What time is it?
1: It's party time. <laughs> Usually we talk about historic parties, but right now I want to talk about the youngest party in the Israeli political system today. You mean Hadam Muhtar? How'd you know? That's, you finally answered the quiz correctly. No, no, you answered most of the quizzes correctly, so naturally you got Here the answer right. Here I anticipate right. the, quiz you in, the quiz in advance. She is garrulous and gregarious, but she and she's a bit of a nudnik when she goes around Knesset demanding answers from Israel's elected representatives about why they're not you know, advancing policies that help young people more. And she has a very ambitious agenda. She wants to just lower the cost of living, eradicate corruption, and hold referendums, bring direct democracy into Israeli society. So it's interesting. Her party was registered formally at the end of August. She claims, or the, the website of the party claims, that they have 23,000 people. That's only about one-fifth of what they need to actually enter Knesset. Actually, it's less than one-fifth. It, they need about 150,000 to enter Knesset. And so she's, they probably not, and she's won't, not running but, herself. She's not running herself.
0: Because she's too young. You need to be 21. From what I understand, she herself cannot be a candidate, but she's the very visible leader of the party. She's a
1: very visible leader, and I think it's interesting that there's a dynamic around whether the media gives sufficient attention to these kinds of new parties. And just this week, I think the interesting thing for the first time, or this week or last week, was that she actually was tested in the public media surveys. Now, she didn't do very well. She got maybe just around the 1% mark. But I think that in itself is considered by many of the parties to be like a measure of whether they're worthy of being part of the public debate. And I have to say, sir, I think it's very unlikely she'll enter Knesset, you know, again, to get from there to 150,000, 60,000 votes is a long way to go. But there's something nice about people being so engaged and, you know, a show of faith in the political system that her way of being an upstart is to try to join the political system. And I wish all young people, and I wish everybody was that engaged in the political system. Also Benguia? I think that um, in a way, that's a good question. I think everybody should be engaged in the political system. and if Even vashists. And if they have attitudes that are undermining democratic institutions, there are laws to prevent that. Now, do I think he should have been banned is the real question, but we don't have time to get into it now, luckily.
0: But I think there is some resemblance between... The vote. I think there's an overlap between the groups of voters who may be considering a vote for Tzirim Boarim, you didn't even say the name of the party, Burning youngsters Burning Youth. Burning Youth. Hadar Muhtar's party and the Benghavi phenomenon. I think some young voters are thinking, which one?
1: I would say maybe they're toying with the idea, but they really are appealing to pretty different constituencies. If you find that person, bring that person in. We will interview that young person.
0: A waste of time. And that's our fix for this week as the campaign enters one of its most crucial weeks. You can follow all the developments leading up to the candidates list deadline online at haaretz.com. We'll be back with you next Thursday with another election overdose hours before the deadline. And hopefully by then, all will have been revealed. Thank you, dear listener, for being with us here in Haaretz Towers in Tel Aviv. Our producer was Maya Benissan. I'm Anshul Pfeff and with me was Dr. Dalia Shendlin. Try and relax over the weekend despite the tension over whether the Hasidim and the Litvaks can work things out. Shabbat shalom.
1: Shabbat shalom.